As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Tuesday, December 21st. I'm Robert Mays. Very excited to welcome the Athletic Zone, Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever wherever you are. It's afternoon here. It's even afternoon where I am. Okay. So we're recording this a little bit earlier than we typically would on a Monday because there's football <laughs> at 4 p.m. <laughs> Central Time today, 5 p.m. Eastern. We are back in that swing of things after the mess that last year was. I, I don't really want to talk about any of that. Well, I'm sure we'll get to the competitive balance issues. You talked with Lindsay about that on the Football GM on Saturday. If you guys want to hear about updated COVID protocols, everything going on with that. That's available to you. You can go listen to that over there. It's a great show. I highly encourage you to check it out. We're going to keep things a little bit breezier today with the questions that you guys sent in. Sincerely appreciate all of you sending the questions in like I do every single week. You make this easy on me. (laughs) It's truly a pleasure to dig through them and find the ones we want to answer because they're thoughtful. They get my gears turning and they make this a very fun show every single week. So appreciate you guys doing that. And let's get to our first voicemail. All right. My question is, as a Niners fan, is what they would look like if you had a really good, competent quarterback. Been listening to your show, watching the game. Jimmy G just seems to still be trying to read where the receiver is, not really reading the defenses. And when I look at stuff like Aaron Rodgers doing what he does and all the other greats doing what they do, I think about the fact that Man, could you imagine Matt Stafford on the Niners and what that landscape looks like now and how much better they look, especially when they would have assets like Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel, Ayuk, all of them going through it. Uh, Thanks. Very to the point, 
which I appreciate. I think this is the million-dollar question about the Niners. I think it's why they made the Trey Lance trade before the season, because they know that with Jimmy Garoppolo, it can look pretty good, but they feel like there's still meat on the bone. So how would you answer this question? Because I think it's difficult because it requires some imagination, and I'll explain what I mean there in a second. Well, when people say Aaron Rodgers and all the other great quarterbacks, there's one Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's better than everybody yeah. else. He makes incredible throws. He fixes a ton of things for their offense. And uh, even then, you win a championship every 10 years or maybe every five if you're lucky. Uh, it's it's really hard. I think having a consistent player that lets you – that you're not trying to protect, put it that way. that The defense is always more afraid of – him than you are as a fan of him <laughs> playing for the other team. I don't put Stafford in that group at all. I mean, I think Stafford's a nice player who opens the playbook compared to Jared Goff, but still is going to make some poor decisions in critical times uh, that if you're the 49ers might cost you in the NFC championship game. I, I just don't think there's that many guys there's really this year. There's almost been two tier one quarterbacks, and then Brady had zero points in the Sunday night game. So, <laughs> um, yes, I think if you put uh, if you put Aaron Rodgers on the 49ers, they would be like the Packers, right? I think it'd be look a lot like the Packers. Yeah, they'd just be a better team. If you look at it, the Niners are second in EPA per play. I think I mean Garoppolo's third. I think he's behind Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford this season among all quarterbacks. So what the Niners offense looks like in its current form, Jimmy Garoppolo is running it extremely well, about as well as you can run that offense. For me, it's what would the offense look like if you could open it up a little bit more? If yeah. when the, you had to play left-handed, when you had to, when the defense was dictating to you rather than the other way around, how many answers would you have? How much could you open the playbook up and how much could you change the structure of it? Yeah. That to me is the question. And I think that is what they're going to look to do when Trey Lance eventually takes over this thing. To me, just picture this, th those critical moments in the Super Bowl where they said, ah, we know what you think about Garoppolo now, end of half or, or different plays in there with a Rodgers, uh, which is it's a short list that Trey Lance ain't going to be doing this, just by the way, 49er fans. Aaron Rodgers will take the ball down the field. He, he can have in, in the Raven game. They play that way partly because with whatever, 40 seconds or a minute, uh, Rodgers will have you in field goal range. That's just how good he is. So it really opens up a level of aggressiveness to you um, that even the Staffords don't, don't give you that. That's what the really great one does. I think what we're talking about with Garoppolo is just maybe a little bit more, uh, Ability to do stuff on his own, right? That's what we're talking about. Just a little bit more talent. And I also think just the areas of the field he can attack. You know, yeah. when he made that throw against the Bengals outside the numbers in a clutch moment, it's like, oh man, look at that. <laughs> they made a play outside the numbers in a clutch moment. He's very, very good at operating this offense that asked him to attack the intermediate and middle of the field, right? That is an area where the Niners crush people. And then if they're going to be throwing the ball outside the numbers and they're going to be attacking the perimeter, it's screens, it's getting the ball in yep. the guy's hands and yak opportunities. So just the types of throws that are available to you. Jimmy Garoppolo is fantastic at running this machine that the Niners offense is when he's healthy. I just tweeted it out before the show started. You look at the leaders in yards per attempt from 2013 to right now, and I know yards per attempt isn't a perfect stat, but you look at yeah. it. Deshaun Watson's first. Jimmy Garoppolo is second. He's ahead of everyone. He's ahead of Patrick Mahomes. He's ahead of Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, all those guys. He's second. Nick Mullins is eighth. 
Nick Mullins is eighth on that list, and C.J. Beathard is 20th. The guys just below C.J. Beathard are Lamar Jackson, Matt Ryan, Justin Herbert. Like What the Niners have built is incredibly impressive when it's able to function the way it wants to. When they have to do something else, what happens? That's the question. And when you put on, like this morning, I put on all of Garoppolo's throws. There's one throw where you go, oh, wow, that was a good, great throw. There's dump-offs in the flat, and the guy goes up the sideline for 30 yards. That's yards per attempt. But it wasn't exactly. anything. That's why that, it's a flawed number. I mean, yeah, yeah. But and you're not saying it's not. But that the way you're getting that is is not putting stress on the quarterback. It's not requiring a ton of the quarterback. So, um, you know, it's kind of like Kirk Cousins. You can go by the numbers on Kirk Cousins, but when you watch the games, um, you can see the difference. <laughs> Let's stick with the Niners real quick here. This questions from Brian Massey. So, as a Niners fan, this has been maddening, confusing season to cheer for them. I honestly haven't been sure what to want. I'm pretty clear-eyed on Jimmy, good but not great, capable of solid stretches, needs everything around him to be working well, but maddeningly inconsistent. I think their roster has holes that will ultimately doom them. But after dominating the Falcons to get to 8-6, and six, I got thinking, do the Niners have the most non-quarterback blue-chip players of any team in the league? I count as legit stars Trent Williams, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, and Fred Warner. Throw in Kyle Shanahan as a star coach as well if you'd like. If it's not the Niners, then who is it? And if you don't have a top five or top 10 quarterback, how many stars do you need to be a real contender? I mean, this is a great question. Yeah. What's a real contender team? I guess your old bear team with Rex Grossman, you, you could have that many. Is that the number of stars or how great you have to be on defense? That's how I think of it. How great <laughs> and even you have to that be in- is 15 years ago. I'm not sure you could play that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just be completely dominant on defense and special teams uh, and have a chance to do it. You know, I think there's a tendency as fans to sometimes overrate the players on our teams. I, I can remember uh, being a Raider fan 30 years ago and calling in to, uh, you know, radio shows and saying this offensive line with Gerald Perry and Steve Wisniewski and Don Mosbar. I mean, this has got to be the best line in the league, right? <laughs> and then no one agreed with me. Um, these guys are stars. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think what's interesting is the, the le- you have a left tackle and a pass rusher who clearly are stars, Trent Williams and Nick Bosa. That's a great, th- those are two great places to have them. Um, but as I look, like if you were a Rams fan answering this, and they're a little bit of an extreme case given the nature of their roster, but you would say Cooper Cup, Andrew Whitworth, Aaron Darnold, Jalen Ramsey, you could put in that star category. And you might make a case for Leonard Floyd or or maybe on their best day now, Von Miller and OBJ could still be in there. Um, and look, they may not make it all the way. So I don't know that there's a number of stars you have to have in the absence of having a a top quarterback. You're just trying to get as many as of them as you can with no guarantees in any year. Like we said, the, the Packers have had 30 years of Favre and Rodgers, and people say, oh, they only have X number of Super Bowls. Well, yeah, they're hard to win. I think the other teams you could make a case for, I think the Chiefs are probably in the conversation Tampa. with Hill and Kelsey and Chris Jones. And you, know, you could, the other guys are probably right on the edge there. The Niners probably have more than them. I think the Cowboys absolutely have a case, right? Yeah. Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Micah Parsons, Tank Lawrence. I think you can make a case for CeeDee Lamb. Tony Pollard is one of the most efficient running backs in the league right now. So Randy the, Gregory the on his best right day is good. Randy Gregory is playing that way this year for sure. Yeah. So I think the Cowboys are right in there. I think the Rams are another good answer. The Packers went healthy. I think undeniably that might be the best example, right? When they're healthy and they have Bakhtiari, Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, I think both of their running backs are probably in that conversation. Yeah, Alton Jenkins at his own position. They're dinged up this year, which I think 
is a testament to just how much Rodgers covers up oh, yeah. when you think about how good that they've been. But I think those are the teams I would think about would be the Cowboys, the Packers, and the Rams. And that would probably be my answers. Yeah, I thought of Tampa initially too, but they're, I mean, with their best weapons at their best and a, and a you know, a couple of guys on defense, but um yeah, I don't you know what probably the numbers make that you have case. to have in the apps. Those teams still have the top quarterbacks too. <laughs> I think that it's more important rather than how many stars you have. How complete is one unit of your offense or one unit of your team, your offense or your defense, right? When you think about the Bucks, that was the most impressive thing to me about the roster they constructed last year is that it's very very good all over the place even if the top top end guys aren't similar to a team like the Rams or the Packers. I mean, if you did the exercise for the Bucks, I think Godwin is a yes, which we could talk about in a second. I think Mike Evans is a yes. I think Tristan Wirfs is probably in that. Yeah, the Bucks might be the answer. Tristan Wirfs, Ali Marpet, both of the receivers, uh, Levante David. You could probably maybe put Shaq Barrett in there, especially, I mean, last year, the way that he was playing, you could put him in there. Vea, your nose, nose tackle's in there. Vitavea's in there. Nobody on the defensive back end. Like that's another example where they're just good. They just have solid players everywhere and no defined weaknesses. Which I think in that area of your team, it almost might be more important. So I think the Bucks are in the same conversation with those other teams. Yep. Chris Godwin out for the year, just awful. I mean, awful if you like football. Awful the fact that this guy. I wrote a story about Chris Godwin before the Super Bowl last year. I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of players in the 10 or 15 years that I've done this. I don't think I have ever gotten the reactions about that I did about Chris Godwin in the conversations that I had about him. Just the dude he is, the mindset yep. he has, everything about him. And for him to tear his ACL while playing on the franchise tag, having the season that he's having, it's awful. I mean, these are just the worst kinds of breaks for NFL players. I mean, you wish him the best. But, I mean, this is a huge deal for the Bucks, and it, it, hopefully it's not a huge deal for him, but it's hard not to feel for him in this moment. Absolutely. I think he still will get good money, and fortunately he has a Super Bowl ring. So, But, yeah, and I, I, I've read your piece, and I've heard you for so long be so high on him that um, I, th- I actually thought of you when, when I saw that news. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, it's yeah, just it, one of those just, guys you don't, you don't want to see that happen to anybody, but, I mean, he's just such a, such a good player. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a huge part of what they do offensively. Yeah. I and mean, this is now one of those moments where the moral hedging that they've done with Antonio Brown <laughs> might ultimately play in their favor. I mean, absolutely. Just say it. Said, we need I this don't guy. Give a shit. Yeah, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. Like, <laughs> we need him right now, which that's fine. At least you're laying it on the table. All right, Kent, let's get to our next voicemail here. Hey, Robert, it's Jack from. Dayton, Ohio, here with a Bengals question for you. So yesterday the Bengals go into Denver, or today I guess calling on Sunday night, Bengals go into Denver and win this gritty, tough, kind of defensive matchup. And we've seen them throughout this year, whether it be against the Ravens or against um, the Steelers, sort of against the Chargers. They've played these high-scoring games, and they've been able to sort of um, enforce their will on offense. Does winning a game like the one they did against Denver give you more hope for them going forward potentially in this AFC playoff race? Or are you more concerned now that their offense wasn't able to sort of flip the switch 
against what a lot of people think is a good defense, but by DVOA standards is not one of these elite defenses in the NFL. Look forward to hearing your answer. Um, just curious about kind of what you think about the Bengals in general. Appreciate it. Love the work. Bye. What do you think about this one, Mike? I think Denver's defense is really good. Uh, I, I think so too. I think their their numbers are not necessarily indicative of how good of a defense they are in this moment. They've had some injuries. They've had some moving pieces. I, I think they're definitely on the rise, and I think that in any given game, they can be a pain in the ass to deal with. And, and absolutely, uh, they you know you know they had Justin Herbert in that offense to thirteen points, a really really good EPA numbers. They've done it against Dallas. They were up thirty nothing on Dallas. Uh, they did it against uh, Kansas City. They they had a pretty good game defensively. So. Um, I don't I, watching the game. I don't. I can't say that I feel better about the Bengals um, a, after that game. I feel like uh, they did exactly what they should have done defensively to that offense, uh, given the quarterbacks they they had. I mean, taking the ball away from Drew Locke, that was school recess lunch money. When he, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, that's what you should do. That's that was good. Uh, offensively, I just love Joe Burrow so much that I'm I'm not I'm not really worried, but. Uh, I did notice that there. Maybe you have a perspective on this, Robert. If you if you were to look just statistically at their worst uh, offensive days, they're they've had four pretty bad ones, and three of them were against the Fangio type uh, defense. Uh, certainly against Denver, certainly against the Chargers, even early in the season against Chicago. Uh, there was another one against Cleveland. So I don't know if haven't watched those close enough to know if there's a common thread through them. Uh, I just feel like the Bengals are have already sort of made their progress this year. They're a better team. They're respectable. The defense is probably better than I expected. We feel great about Burrow. We know what they kind of need to do. And I don't think they're going to be making a ton of noise in the, in the playoffs and going deep uh, based on what we've seen either in that game or, or any of them. What do you think, Robert? It's taken a while to get here. But the Bengals are the team I thought they might be coming into the season. Uh, the uh, the uh, defense is much better than I thought it would be, right? Yes. They're a borderline top 10 defense. They are definitely better than I thought they would be. I thought that when the dust settled, the goal for this Bengals season should be, man, we're this is going the right way. Like our yeah. young core that we've built looks really exciting. Like Burrow is a star. Well, let's see what we can get from Jamar Chase. We have some young pieces. But in a single offseason, it's really hard to put all this together, especially when you have one of the most expensive defenses in the league. They spent a lot of their effort this offseason and their finances on plugging holes defensively. And it worked. I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. We've seen these one-year blips with defensive free agent holes yep. where it doesn't necessarily hold. But right now, that has been successful. But on offense, the only real moves they made was signing Riley Reef to a one-year contract and going to get Jamar Chase in the first round of the draft. The chase thing, he's fallen off a little bit, which is not necessarily surprising. You see that with rookie players all the time. He's undeniably exciting. Nice nice addition. Yeah. Yes. And I think that next year, this could be great, right? You got T. Higgins. You got Chase. You got Mixon. You got Joe Burrow. You got Jonah Williams. And that's really all you have. And I think that is the biggest concern here is that they've really relied in some of their bigger moments this year on some fluky plays offensively, some great individual efforts from Burrow and from Chase. And they have struggled to sustain offense in some of these moments. And I think it's because their offense is not complete. Their offensive line is still a big concern. I know it's dinged up now, so it looks even worse. But that is now the next step for me. It's like, okay, 
we are a team that is absolutely headed in the right direction. We have solved the most important problem you can possibly solve in professional football. Our quarterback is a star. Just yep. point blank, end of conversation, he is a star. Now what? And I think that was always what I figured this season would look like for the Bengals. And I think that's where we are. I feel like their line could hold them back ultimately when it comes to playing against the really good teams in the AFC in the playoffs. But after this season ends, you think, okay, now we have another offseason, another offseason to compile some resources here to build up that group. And let's see what we look like in 2022. And that's kind of always what I thought was going to happen. From a spot before where it was like, can you believe how bad Zach Taylor's record is? Do we need a new coach? Yeah. You know, those yep. types of things. Hey, who's this defensive coordinator? I mean, it wasn't one of the hot candidates. Were they trying to save money or something? Th those types of things aren't the questions we're asking. So I I'm with you. I'm in a position where, hey, you know what? I want to see more. I want Brewer to make it through this season, not get hurt again. And uh, let's move on knowing what we have to do. Now, you're right. You can assume that defense, okay, we pick up where we left off on defense, and we've seen that story go south before for every team. So you got to stay on that and get better defensively too. But I think we know offensively that you're going to be good at quarterback and you're going to be good at receiver, and you got to help that offensive line, and let's go. That is not a bad place to be. Being good at quarterback and having a potential number one receiver yep. and a 1B with Higgins for the next however yeah. long, this plan that they followed and the guys that they drafted has worked out. Yep. Now what happens? And it's a worthwhile question, but I, if I were a Bengals fan right now, I feel pretty damn good about the position I was in because the most important queries that you could possibly have as an organization, you have solved them. And that is a huge, huge thing. Yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this one, but I did want to address it very quickly because it's not come up at other times this year so far, thankfully. Jonathan Munshu says, I've been following your work since the Grantland days, and one of my favorite bits you've ever done was the take workshop you did on your ringer days. At one point, 
you posited that Justin Herbert was too tall to play quarterback while he was in college. Otherwise, his pro career is already far better than many people expected. But I think this point is still interesting. He's taller than any other quarterback who ranks top 20 all-time in passing touchdowns. As someone who's rooted for Baker Mayfield for years now, I can certainly see how a quarterback being too short is an issue. So my question is, what is the tallest you think a quarterback can be and still be successful in the NFL? Is it Herbert at 6'6"? This was always like half a take, right? And it's partially rooted in the history of it, like he mentions. You think of Dan McGuire or some of these guys. Yes. So this is a true story. Last spring after I wrote it, an NFL general manager reached out to me about it and was like, hey, this is a real thing. Like there has never been a quarterback who's been 6'6 or taller and been successful. So it is, it's not just this crazy idea, but the reason that I think that you hadn't seen a guy, especially in the modern NFL, succeed at the position with that sort of height is because they're wooden. They're, they cannot move. Those guys are stiff. They're not athletes. And when you watch Herbert play, he's so fluid. Like his ability to make plays happen with his feet, how quickly he can reset, how explosive and twitchy he is for being a 6'6 guy. I don't think we've ever seen anyone like that at the position. You know, Cam 6'5, Brady 6'5, a lot of guys in that range, but 6'6 and taller, we've never seen someone like him. So I think he is just a physical outlier, and that's why he's been able to be this successful. Theoretically, you could have a 6'10 guy that moves the same way. It's just more difficult. So that's why I think he's kind of just a freak. And think of this way. If we had pulled NBA general managers in a certain year, hey, how come there's the 6'11 guys can't hit three-pointers? <laughs> well, guess yeah. what? They weren't practicing them. You know, they, they, I, don't, I don't think there's necessarily a limit that – most of the quarterbacks that are extra, extra tall um, just weren't – didn't correlate athletically. I, I I think it's still rare, but I'm with you. I think it's totally possible. You know, Bill Walsh used to say 6'2 is the ideal height. Well, it probably was to get the, the guy who's tall enough to see and, and quick enough to move. But if you're quick enough to move and have the athleticism and you're fluid and don't look like you're tall – uh, then you can do it. Like when you said Herbert six six, like I don't think of Herbert as unusually tall, because I don't even think of him as six six. You just watch him play, and he's an athlete. He's also when you see him in person. When I talk to them, this might get a little creepy, but when I talk to them <laughs> and talk to him in preseason, when I was at their training camp, I talked to him after practice, and he had his pads off, and he had like an Under Armour shirt on. That dude is assembled. Like yeah, that, yeah. he is shredded up. He is an incredibly put together athlete. He's huge, and he has definitely worked on getting to that place. Yep. I think a lot of bigger quarterbacks don't necessarily have that sort of commitment to being in really, really great shape. So the fact that he combines that with the frame, this is what you see, right? If you can be a great athlete at six six, and you then you can combine that potentially with. I'm going to say something here. I think the best arm I've ever seen. In terms of the way the ball explodes out of his hand, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen someone throw a football like that. And that, ideally, is the package, right? If you have that physical ability to throw the ball at that height, which is the benefit of that frame, and you can still move, that's why it's worth worth betting on a guy like that. Absolutely. They used to take the tallest kid and put him at center, and then in the NBA, you'd have Mark Eaton. That's what a center looked like. Well, <laughs> guess what? Kids, the— Now Kevin Durant exists. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Durant exists, and you would have, would have blown my mind at one time. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if we're going to see all— 
it's still going to be rare. Shoot, it's rare to have anyone who can throw it like Justin Herbert at any height. So he he's a rarity in all ways to be that tall, to be that athletic, to throw it that well. I will put in a little vote for John Elway uh, exploding off of the arm. I'll put him out there to, in the quarterback challenge. But uh, This is Herbert fair. Is right I am too young for John Elway. Yeah. John Elway was drafted when I was negative four years old. So the people that I have watched in my adult life, I, I will say that about Justin Herbert. You were born in 87? Yes. My senior year of high school. Wow. 87, 88. Okay. Yeah. Elway was in the Super Bowl that year. So, yeah. <laughs> I did not watch that game. Or if I did, I certainly do not he was remember playing against it, the, so. the Doug Williams game. Yeah. I remember that. Watching at my friend Jim's house. There you go. All I got is what I've been able to see. So th- yes. that's what I'm sticking with right now. All right. Our next one here from Will Reagan. He says, should we be paying more attention to Dennis Allen as a head coach candidate? His defenses have been stellar since he joined the Saints staff. He's always had that Mark Davis era Raiders stink on him. So I never really considered him as a viable rerun candidate. Could he actually be a decent rerun candidate? In your eyes, what makes a potential rerun candidate a good one? I love calling them rerun candidates instead of retreads. It's like a Seinfeld episode on at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, which I'm totally fine with. I've never heard someone call it that before, but I'm okay with it. So how do you feel about this? How do you think about Dennis Allen as a possible retread among all of the other potential retread candidates that we've seen in the NFL, especially on the defensive side here over the last couple of years? Yeah, it looks like he can scheme a good defense. Uh, We know that, which isn't usually, I mean, that's important. I think to be a head coach, you have to be credible in some area of making the football team better schematically or or coaching the team. So if he's really good at that, that's a part of it. as far as a rerun candidate, I feel like you know they don't they don't say used cars anymore. You know, <laughs> you got pre car, certified pre owned, pre owned, yeah. certified pre owned. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. These coaches are certified pre employed. Okay, uh, uh, I I do like that somebody's been a head coach before. I don't know if there was any fatal flaws with him and with the Raiders because they were such a flawed organization. If you remember at that time, they were a couple years out of Al Davis dying. He'd kind of run the organization into the ground late in his tenure there. And then uh, uh, Mark Davis was new. And I think Mark Davis is a better owner now than then. Uh, That was a very difficult, tough situation. Um, I like the fact that he's been a head coach before. I like that there's been time in between the tenures. I'll give you an example. Adam Gase had a tough run uh, in Miami. Now, they they had an okay record, better than you think, but it wasn't good. He needed three years in between to really reconsider his processes and grow as a coach. Instead, he gets thrown right into the next job and it, it was exposed as, as a bad, bad. He never, he, he didn't get that chance to, to really think it through. So I like that about Dennis Allen. He's been with Sean Payton. So it checks a lot of boxes there. I guess I would probably like a team would do a little more investigation and okay, was there anything that didn't like? Was there anything with dealing with players? Is there anything more to know about him? But just on the surface, I, I kind of like him being in the mix. If we're doing this the same way we often will, measure up head coach candidates by looking at their resumes as coordinators, undeniably he is in the conversation. What he's done with that Saints team over the last, I guess, four or five years, however long he's been there, they've consistently had a really good defense. And I think some of the stuff that they've done schematically is kind of interesting. So many aspects to what they've been, I think, gives him credence as an option and gives him, puts him in the conversation. I will say this, on the other side of it, like the personality aspects of it, how he handles the job, all that stuff. Zero idea. Have never had a conversation with Dennis Allen. 
very know very little about him. Can you remember a Dennis Allen press conference? No. In the last like five years, I, I just feels like I've had very little exposure to like Dennis Allen, the personality or communicator. Here's my Dennis Allen interaction story. So uh, I got to know Cortez Kennedy really well when he was going through the Hall of Fame process. I used to cover him when he played. So I went down to Orlando one time and I visited Cortez at his house. And he lived in this uh, uh, community where, where they had a, a golf country club type thing. And he said, hey, let's go to dinner. I'll invite a couple friends. So we go to dinner. I got no idea who's coming. It was Dennis Allen and Charles Woodson. Those were his neighbors. And we had dinner. <laughs> and it was the cool. I was just sitting there the whole time going, who doesn't belong at this table? You know, me, <laughs> me, Dennis Allen, Charles Woodson. No, it's definitely Charles Woodson. <laughs> Charles Woodson was that man out there. It was just totally awesome, though. So I had dinner with Dennis Allen, but I, I wasn't taking notes. Uh, he seemed like a great guy. But uh, yeah, uh, he's somebody... Who we should be asking those questions, right? I mean, we, we need to be gearing up for this next this next run of, of candidates. And I, you know, I'm biased in the sense that I've had conversations with a lot of the other candidates, and it's part of why I enjoy just having random conversations with assistant coaches. You know, during training camp, it's one of my favorite things. It's can I get 20 minutes with whoever, and to be able to pick their brain about some ideas. But it's also good to get exposure to these guys because who knows what where they're going to go and it's fun to be able to say like oh I think he's a good communicator I think he translates this idea well and I just sat down for a while with Vance Joseph and when you sit I sat down with Vance Joseph and I was like I absolutely could see him getting another chance at this right like yep. the way he explains his ideas how clearly he can articulate some of this stuff the distillation of this is why I play this way this is how I interact with my players this is how I solicit feedback from them it's much much easier for me as someone who talks about this all the time, to have an idea of what he would look like in that chair. I just, and the same was with Brandon Staley last year, right? There are two coaches in the last three or four hiring cycles where when they got the job, I said confidently, I said, that person I think will be good at this. And the two guys that I felt that way about were Brandon Staley and Kevin Stefanski. And it's because of conversations I had had with them for stories that I had written and I just was confident and with their backgrounds, the way they handled themselves, what their temperaments were like, that they had as good a chance as anybody, in my opinion, to be good at being a head coach. Yep. But you don't know that about everyone, so it's hard to say. Yeah. That's why when these conversations come up, it's always like, I don't know. I've never I don't know that person I at all. I have no idea. List, Rob. I hate I have no list. idea what he'll be at this. So it's yeah. very my scope of knowledge here is very, very limited in being able to talk about these guys with any authority, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get to our next one here. This was also is coach centric. CJ Scheffler asks now that the Jags have finally fired NFL loser Urban Meyer, <laughs> I started wondering which NFL coach would have the highest transfer market cash value. If the Jags could just buy a coach from another club, I have to imagine that CJ is a soccer fan. As with all hypotheticals about coaching, Bill Belichick is not included because he is the largest outlier of all time. I think the most expensive coach would be Mike Tomlin. He has the resume, the reputation, and is in a situation with the Steelers where ownership places an incredibly high value on the head coach. So who do you think would be the hottest coach on the head coach transfer market, Mike Sando? That's interesting. The hottest coach, like for me, I would also be the thing, who would be the best for Jacksonville? Like who could go in there and do that? That's for me a, se a separate thing because I think when you don't have, not when you don't have great ownership or great leadership, I think it takes a powerful personality probably too in the right ways or probably in the wrong ways. Uh, but uh, I would probably, my list, my short list would be John Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, Sean Payton, Sean McVay, and Andy Reid as, as guys that would be really 
really um, expensive to go in there. But there's, you know, Vrabel doesn't have the skins on the wall, but I think he he's got a real strong personality that can, uh, I don't know, drive, kind of drive a building, if you know what I mean. Um, Sean Payton might be the top of my list because I think he went into New Orleans and I don't know that it was absolutely the best situation and and he has just taken firm command of that. So those would be some guys there. Do you would you put anyone at the top of the list? I mean, maybe Mike Tomlin's in there too. I think Sean Payton for the, if we're talking purely about Jacksonville, like best fit, if I could just in a fantasy world pick one of these guys, it would be Sean Payton for the exact reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, the, the Saints, think about where the Saints were yeah. when Sean Payton took over the Saints. And not only just in the aftermath of Katrina, but also just the status of the organization. I remember reading Jeff Duncan's book and some of the things that Sean Payton had to ask for where it's like coaches don't have to share rooms on the road. You know, guys get this little thing, just little tiny quality of life things that he had yep. to think about when you're rebuilding the bedrock of an organization. And I think that having done that before would put him in a really good position to do that in Jacksonville. But if we're talking about who would cost the most in this particular situation, I think it'd be McVay, right? Because he's 35 years old. Like potentially, don't you have to think about that? And also ownership, like how easy it is to sell an owner on like a young, energetic guy. I just feel like he would have the highest price tag even if he wouldn't be the most in-demand or best option. Yeah, so Sean Payton's 57 years old. You figure he's got, what, 15 years left at most? That's uh, still a long time. It's a long I mean, time. Sean Payton is not necessarily a easy-living guy. I feel like Sean Payton's 57. Yeah. He's, he's had a hard 57 years <laughs> as an NFL head coach. He's got a couple. He's got a. He's he's skipped a few L changes, and he's got some high high uh, in city miles, you know, on him. But, yes, uh, yes, that's absolutely right. You're right. He may not have the highest price. McVeigh might be the shiniest car in the lot, but Sean Payton's going to get you to the top of the mountain, and uh, I don't care what the conditions are for those reasons. So I think he would be great uh, in Jacksonville, and Vrabel would be my choice of the unproven's, where we're we're not really sure. But um, I'd like to see someone get in his way. Let's try to stop him. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, next question here from Thaddeus Wasowitz. I believe that's how you'd pronounce that. If I'm not, I apologize. I know Zach Kiefer came on to do a deep dive with the Colts with you, Robert, but I want to touch on one piece. What comes next? First, are the Colts number one on your rankings of a team from the top down being able to execute a plan? I think they are, and if they aren't, they're close. In a salary cap league, it's very hard to be good on both sides of the ball, and the Colts have accomplished that. Now the question is, how can they become great on one side of the ball? I think they're one elite playmaker away on either side from being elite. They're so solid across the board, but I think that one superstar vaults them into elite status. To steal from Nate, they're so solid, but they need an elite guy who would be a force multiplier. He mentions guys like Chris Godwin, Darren Waller. So I think there are a couple different things to consider here, Mike. I want to ask you his first question, which is, do you feel better about the Colts than almost any other organization when it comes to executing a plan and the guys who were in charge of this from the top down? Where would you put them in the hierarchy of those conversations? I put in my top five. I think there's a couple of other organizations where maybe even it's very cohesive there, but you talk about stream. There's no place more streamlined than New England because Bill Belichick's the same. He, he does both jobs or even Andy Reid to to some degree. Uh, obviously, they have- And then Peyton a, is another example, right? Where those guys have such autonomy and yeah. the personnel side of it that- yeah, and which is hard to do well, but I think they've done it well in all of those places. Yes, I do really like the setup and everything in uh, in Indy, but but think of this: if Frank Reich really wants to have Carson Wentz, and it's not really the best move for the long term organization as a GM, you sort of have to do it. I I said that to someone on Saturday night. I said that. I don't even know if I want to say this. I guess I will. I It feels like we're headed toward that, right? Like it almost feels like that is, if you just played this out like 18 months from now, I guess less than 18 months from now, uh, next March, after the 2020 Colts do whatever they do, let's say in this hypothetical, they lose in the AFC championship game to the Chiefs or something. And they're sitting there and they go get a couple more pieces this year and they get a couple free agents and talking about what could put them over like an elite corner, a, pl- a pass catcher or playmaker somewhere on the offense at the tight end or receiver to pair with Pittman and Taylor in that offensive line. And Wentz just has like a couple moments in the AFC championship game where you're like, Oh man, it just feels like he can't get us there. And now you have this set, this situation where you have a head coach and offensive play caller who is tied to this quarterback, who is invested in this quarterback, who's gotten a lot out of him. But maybe this guy isn't the person to take them the rest of the way. And you have a GM who has to look at the interests of his coach, how well his coach has done at developing quarterbacks, how much he's trusted him and how much that trust has paid off in the past. But also, do I need to kind of take the controller away from this guy and say, we need to go get someone else? I don't, it feels like that might be on the horizon. Oh, yeah. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but that eventuality is very much on the table. I agree. And how about Frank Reich after the game? Like, I got no concern with our past game. This is about proving we can run. With I was defense. in that room. I was like, "Ooh, okay." I'm like, I have real concerns, and I'm not even a Colts fan. You know, I'm just watching the game, going, "Gall." If Matt, if they if these teams switched quarterbacks, 
and it was Mac Jones being asked to manage that lead, I feel like the Colts would have won by 17 points. Yeah, it's just, Am I wrong? Again, I know. And I, I think that that feeling about, man, they just have it right. And that's kind of what we talked about with Zach on, on Saturday night. And when I watched that game, it just felt like a proof of concept, right? It just felt like this is what we're here to do. Right, like this is what we've tried to build over the last three three years. This is the identity we want. This is, and the word I used was incubator. This is the incubator of talent and the vision that we've had for this organization. To me, it was on full display on Saturday night. How far can you take that vision? Now becomes the next question. And I think the quarterback is a huge consideration in that. And, and so, he may be able to. I mean, the talent he does absolutely. have the talent. So it's year one. And maybe our goal for year one is, hey, he's just got to stop sucking, which was the year before. He hasn't <laughs> Reasonable sucked. goal, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there. this was a salvage thing. This was this was the, you know, a, a ship that was on the rocks and had a couple holes in it and had to be dry docked. So maybe in the big picture, this is a, a successful season already, especially if he makes it through, especially if they're in the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game. Then you didn't go backwards. And they overcame a lot this year. They've had guys in and out. A lot of teams have, but they lost some games that they really should have won. Um, so do you springboard off of that next year and are better? I think you can convince yourself to do that. I'm not just, I'm not a hundred percent all in on, the quarterback, and that's easy to say too, because who else you want? Who else are you going to go get? You can't just go get anybody. If you look at it next year, his cap, his base salary next season is twenty-two million dollars. His cap it is twenty-eight. Totally reasonable yep. for a capable starting quarterback in the NFL. After next year, his base salaries, his cap hits over twenty twenty-three and twenty twenty-four. Twenty-six million, twenty-seven million. As the cap explodes in 2023, that 26 million is going to be peanuts. Yeah. You're not even going to think about that as it compares to most quarterback salaries. 40s are going to be the norm, and he's sitting there at 26, and there's no dead money left on that deal. So theoretically, they could get to a place where they say, we need to be better here, and they have the flexibility to do that. I'm not writing off Carson Wentz, but it just feels like that dynamic is going to be worth watching here over the next year or so in Indy. And he is probably, unless things really go sideways, good enough to keep as your guy and you don't have to defend it to everybody because you're, you're on the lookout. Isn't that a great spot if, to be? Yeah, well, but you're on the lookout only if something's better. You don't ditch Jared Goff just because you're tired of Jared Goff. You have to feel like, oh, we can get Stafford and he's better. Let's do that. So maybe they're in, maybe they're a competitive playoff team with a chance to go deep in the playoffs with Carson Wentz. And you you don't stop looking. I mean, it's one of those situations where I'm so intrigued by it. Like the way they've built this thing, how successful they've been. And people that listen to the show know that I'm a big fan of the work that they have done there. I've, I hold Frank Reich and Chris Ballard in very high esteem. Yep. And I feel like what they have done this season is another example of that. The question now, and is the eternal question, can you take the next step? I was on Lindsay Rhodes' podcast today. And we were talking about the Lions. It's like, I think you can feel really, really good about what the Lions have done this year and what they look like on the field every single week. This is a really good staff to take over a group of practice squad fringe players and get them moving in the right direction. Is it going to be the right staff to put better players around them and go from we have fielded an NFL team to 
we can start to win six to seven games. It's always that question about your staff. This version of it, this is great, right? Like we've really found, we figured this out. But can you go from being a 10-win team to a 12-win team? Can you go from being a 12-win team to a championship team? That's always the question about this stuff. And I feel like that's exactly where the Colts are going to find themselves next spring. Let's do the last voicemail here, Kent, and then we'll get out of here. Hey, this is Eric from North Carolina. Question for Mike. I know you talk to a lot of people in coaching front offices. This time of year is when you'll have teams that are out of the playoffs, and sometimes they'll have a really inspired run at the end of the season or they'll tail off. And we always talk about how that's creating momentum or they have no momentum going into the next season. And I was just wondering, with all the turnover that happens with players and coaches in the offseason, does that actually matter? Do teams go into the next training camp? Is there any hangover, positive or negative, from how the last season ended? Or is that just something we tell ourselves at the end of the season just to have something to say? Great show, guys. Thanks for all the hard work. How do you feel about this? I'm not a huge believer in momentum carrying over in that way. I think if you have good people, you got a good thing going and you're making decisions for the right reasons, that becomes its momentum. Uh, I do think every team at the end of every year that doesn't win at all uh, does sort of convince itself that, okay, if we do these two things, then we've addressed our issues. That's kind of fun to watch and see what they do. But um, I don't think, like, for example, a hot finish is huge. I mean, it could give somebody confidence or you feel better about your quarterback or those types of things. I, I don't know how tangible that really is. I don't think you can carry it over. I don't think you can ride momentum. I don't think that's real. But I think that there are things you can learn about your team over the course of the back half of the season. If your quarterback does something well, there are areas of his game his, he improves. I don't necessarily think the statistical outcomes over the back half of the season are indicative of what's going to come compared to what may have happened like in week eight. Some Stuff like that, I feel like, is probably overblown. But I think it's more about, like, is the stuff we're doing working? Like, does, is our system that we have in place, is that something we can continue to rely on moving forward? But for the most part, I've always, like the Belichick thing, where he is steadfast in this messaging about how every year is a new year, where it's nothing that happened before matters. This is a new year. It's a new team. We're going to treat it like this. That used to be something where I kind of just rolled my eyes. It's like, all right, man, I just answer the question about like the 2018 season and what you guys did in this way and why it matters now. Like, but he just refuses. And it's, I do think that there is value in that. I think that looking and kind of cracking open what you were each off season and saying, all right, this is maybe one thing we did well. Let's take that. Let's take this. Let's take that. And using it to create a new vision for what the next season is. To me, there is a ton of value in that. And I just, I wouldn't have thought that five years ago. But when you just see what it's like and how hard it is, especially in defense, to carry over success and how the teams that don't make massive adjustments on offense and try to be a little bit something different inevitably run into whole into walls like the bills for example right i think the bills are the perfect example you watch what the bills offense was at the end of last season and you thought man this is going to be a rocket ship look they, they are going to be so so good again they're a top five offense they have this young exciting quarterback this is it this is the, we're ready for liftoff here and then they kind of hit a wall this year because they're very much a similar version of what they were last year. And I think that consciously trying 
to make sure you evolve and you change and you're presenting something, an entirely different picture to an offense or a defense. I've really bought into how important that is. And I think that's why in some ways, whatever momentum you've gained toward the end of the previous season may not be as important. No, I think those things are important for the narrative so that GMs can get renewed or the media gets off their backs and teams are embracing that all the time. They just, oh, if we can get quarterback to have four good games down the stretch, whoo. Then they're not going to be bugging me about a quarterback all year, all off season or whatever. So yeah, those narratives are used conveniently, but probably not uh, effectively. <laughs> all right, guys, that's all we got because there's a football game kicking off right now as we finish recording this. As always, sincerely appreciate you guys sending in the questions. Mike, sincerely appreciate your time. We will be back later this week. Mitchell will be back on tomorrow's show. Tomorrow we're going to dig into the place the modern run game has in the NFL. We've kind of tiptoed around it on a lot of shows this year, but we're really going to sink into this. I've had some conversations with people lately about it, and I really want to dig into it with Mitch because he has some really cool thoughts about it. So please check back for that. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming for the rest of the week, even though it's a holiday. Mike, I know you guys are going to still have your, the football GM come out on Saturday. Yep. So can you let people know where they can find that and what should they what they should be looking out for? Absolutely. Right on right on the Athletic Football Show feed on Saturday, me and Randy Mueller, the GM. And you can find me on Twitter at SandoNFL and, of course, on The Athletic. So please check that out, guys. And just kind of a quick programming heads up. Uh, last week, Saturday into Sunday, we had a show from the Colts game. We are going to do some Sunday morning shows when it is appropriate. Over the next month or so. Obviously, this week is Christmas. We're not going to have anything on Christmas night. But in week 18, they're flexing some games onto Saturday. We're going to record a show on Saturday night. We're going to have something about those games for you on Sunday morning. Wildcard weekend, obviously, there are Saturday games. We're going to have a show on that Saturday for Sunday morning. So just be ready to check that stuff out. We thought it worked out well this week. And there's no downside to having some reactions in real time rather than waiting till Monday morning. The divisional round is going to be an exception. I have to go to a wedding and Nate also has something to do. Unfortunately, Saturdays are time for family and friends and things of that nature, but we are definitely going to have some more Saturday into Sunday programming for you guys that you can check out here throughout the playoffs. For now, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.